The Melbourne street medics need your help. On Saturday the 18th of July, when we took to the streets against Reclaim Australia, Victoria Police pepper sprayed the crowd. We treated more than 100 people and we're asking you to donate to help restock our kits and train up new medics. We believe in empowering people to fight for a better world. Please help us to care for those who stand up for our rights. Please go to ozcrowd.com and search for Melbourne Street Medics or go to the Melbourne Street Medics Facebook page for more information on how to donate. Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday the 8th of August here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow and I'm glad to be back after a short break. No one noticed your absence, Pierre. Nothing to fear. Uh, Listener, there's so much love going on here, but uh, just to show that uh, some people can give out love, thanks very much for the previous show, Solidarity Breakfast, for a very interesting program, and you'll listen to 3CR Radio. And those contacts for Australia Asia Worker Links, uh, Giselle. If you haven't uh, picked up on it already, Asia Pacific Currency is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links, and if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, all the w's.aawl.org.au. You. Our telephone number is 966-372-77. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and regularly post news and current affairs from a worker's perspective across the Asia-Pacific region to those various social media platforms. That's uh, a fantastic um, roundup. And, of course, we'll get into the news items as usual uh, this week in about in a few seconds. But uh, we've got an interview uh, later on this uh, in about halfway through the show. That's right. In the second part of this morning's program, our feature interview for this week's show is Amanda Zivcic. She is one of the activists in the Refugee Action Collective. There are some activities or actions coming up in coming weeks, so we're going to give her an opportunity to tell us what those actions are and to invite you to get along to them. Of course, particularly we'll be speaking about the Australian government's um, proposed deportation of um, Ethiopian an Ethiopian woman um, by the name of Yeshwork Abra. So the campaign to prevent that deportation, particularly. And of course, um, you know, the issue of uh, refugees has been on the forefront here in Australia for a good fifteen years. But of course, now globally, um, in many countries, it's uh, seen more and more of an issue for lots of lots of reasons. So, um, be interested to discuss those as well. But anyway, should we go straight to the news items? Indeed. All right, the first one we go to West Asia where, as we have reported um, a number of times, one of the features of the Israel occupation of Palestinian lands is the ongoing imprisonment of thousands of Palestinians, often with no charges or trial. I think the latest number is around 6,000. In a number of these Israeli prisons, Palestinian prisoners are undertaking mass civil disobedience to protest against their imprisonment 
and the illegal occupation of Palestinian lands. Around the world, uh, solidarity action and events have been undertaken to support these um, uprising in Israeli jails. In addition, there is a growing call around the world to boycott one of the companies involved in the prison system, G4S, a global company that specialised in security, prisons and repression. And um, G4S, I think Giselle is quite active in Australia as well. That's right. And right across the world, actually, they're a global um, security company. They run the um, many detention centres. They're also the um, Australian government's primary contractor for deportations, in fact. That's right. <laughs> Moving on, earlier this week, police in the southern city of Melbourne arrested three directors of a company that supply contract and casual workers to Australia Post for its sorting and delivery services. Australia Post is slowly being corporatised and privatised by successive Australian governments. This has led Australia Post to cut costs and to become more efficient, supposedly. This has meant an attack on workers' employment conditions and to privatise and outsource its workforce. This has now allowed subcontracting companies to come in and supply low-cost workers by exploiting Australia's student and short-term work visa system. The use of these highly vulnerable workers is a growing problem in Australia as companies seek higher profits. And I think that's a very interesting um, story in the sense that uh, the subcontracting company ran the education um, facilities as well to import these so-called students and to make them work. I think it sounds very efficient to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The exploitation chain. You know, you might as well just own all of it. Um, in a, another story about Australia, um, again, and I mean, I mean, a lot of our listeners would know that um, the, the present uh, federal government is incredibly hostile to unionists. Um, they and they want to restrict our rights and criminalise our activities. And of course, people would know the long-running Royal Commission against trade union activities that just looks at what trade unions do, not at what the companies do. And also just the very, very recent um, release of the Conservative Think Tank report uh, basically wants to cut penalty rates and other wages and conditions. But people might not know that earlier this month, these attack became very uh, direct and in many ways um, very uh, dangerous when a, um, up in Sydney a CFMEU organiser by the name of Johnny Lomax was arrested and charged with blackmail and his crime or his alleged crime was that he bargained with the employer to secure better wages for the workers on the site which were actually being paid below the minimum wage. So he's actually been charged with blackmail. I think this um, uh, really takes Australia to the level of other regional countries where um, workers and, and labour activists get in prison for basically our job. That's right. Uh, and another similar example of this very thing um, the, in South Korea, migrant trade unions are now facing a new hurdle. So earlier in July, we did in fact report the great news that the Supreme Court of South Korea has recognised the right of many migrant workers, whether legal or illegal, to join a union. The ruling has seen the vindication of the migrant trade union, who's organised migrant workers in South Korea for over a decade. Uh, well, unfortunately, and we kind of suspected there would be, 
A downside to this, the Ministry of Employment and Labor has now declined to register the MTU. Actions by Labor activists against this latest move by the government are continuing with sit-ins, rallies and fundraising. And they've been... We get nothing, no, no <laughs> handouts. We fight for absolutely everything. That's right. And, and look, I think this shows the, the, the veneer of democracy in capitalist countries. You know, here's Supreme Court judgment that says no, you know, and the government just says, oh, no, well, bureaucratically we'll just, you know, work out something else to stop them. Either the government does that or the companies do that. You know, we have that infamous case of Toyota where every the highest levels of courts in the Philippines ruled that the, um, the genuine union was, in fact, the real... Um, union that was allowed to register and Toyota refused to recognise them, continuing to recognise a yellow union. That's right. And also, I mean, obviously it happens here in Australia with government change of laws. And I think to me, one of the starkest was many years ago when the Supreme Court, I think, uh, agreed that this in the times when um, detention was uh, deemed illegal and the government had to pay compensation and the government passed a special legislation saying, yes, $1 a day. Um, (laughs) Which is anyway, we'll just leave it there. We just keep going and on about this. But anyway, um, another unfortunately uh, sad story from Thailand, where the military regime, as we've reported previously, um, has really um, arresting everyone. But they've now set new records in terms of repression with the Les Majest law. Um, now, they're also now attempting to rewrite history as well. Um, they've just put out a report about the 2010 massacre of uh, demonstrators in, um, in Bangkok where they said that they all died because somehow the plastic bullets killed them. Um, but anyway... Um, this week, uh, the military, there were three new convictions under the draconian Les Majest law. Now, a mentally ill man um, who was certified mentally ill was actually sent to five years in jail for allegedly destroying a portrait or a photo of the king. A woman was given a 28-year sentence for posting messages on Facebook that were seen as defamatory or insulting the king. Now, the 28-year sentence was actually the record. That was actually quite quickly the next day um, uh, superseded because a man was sentenced 30 years in jail for very similar crimes putting on social media posts. Now, the last two sentences... They're actually halved. They're actually, the original sentence were actually 56 and 60 years, but for some reason the court probably thought, oh, I'm going to be magnanimous and halve them. Well, actually, that's a massive jump from um, the sentences we have been seeing for Les Majestas. So um, for those of you who are following the situation in Thailand, we've been seeing sentences of 10, 11, I think 16 was... Um, no, the... the um, the students in the Wolf, the the um, university plague, they got ten years each. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a massive jump. That's more than double. Um, so uh, yeah, the <laughs> situation is becoming more dire there. Yes, yes, yes. And really, you can really say the fight to abolish Les Majest is now central to the fight to overturn the military regime and for democracy. Moving now to China, as we've previously reported, workers in China are increasingly prepared to take independent actions in their fight for their rights. This year, the eastern coastal province of Shandong and the southeast province of Guangdong 
have seen the highest number of strikes. Many of these disputes relate to the increasing number of workers who are losing their job or facing wage cuts due to the continuing slowdown of the Chinese economy. The main sectors experiencing job losses are the manufacturing, construction, mining sectors and state-owned enterprises. Just a, a note on that. As we're seeing the increased um, unionisation and industrial action across the Chinese labour movement as the economic crisis intensifies, one of the things that you can definitely count on Australia for is its increased racism um, in that period of um, economic crisis. And I suspect that we will very, very quickly turn our attentions to xenophobia against um, Chinese workers. And I think it is really critical to recognise our our links. Those workers are their interests are the same as ours, and we must fight together. Hundred percent agree with you, um, Giselle, and I'm sure we'll talk more about these in future uh, programs. Now, the last item uh, we go to Sri Lanka, but again, we show the connection between various governments, because now evidence has shown that Australia has helped the um, repression uh, in Sri Lanka by the regime. Now, as um, we have reported in the past, the Sri Lanka's government victory over the Tamil Tigers insurgency a few years ago did not lead to peace, but actually led to the consolidation of government power and repression measures. One of the tactics that the government used was the use of the so-called white vans to abduct people off the streets. Some of these people were found killed, while others simply disappeared and have never been heard before. Now, a recent investigative report has found that the Australian government helped to equip the Sri Lankan security apparatus, um, and especially the, the security forces that are behind the white vans, for obviously for in exchange for cooperation in returning asylum seekers to Sri Lanka. What can one say That's about that? That's uh, that exploitation and oppression matrix that we've been discussing previously. That's right. And um, I wish we could f- um, finish off with a better news. Oh, no, you've got your uh, hand. All right, go for it. Just, oh, yes, go. <laughs> the final story um, comes from Pakistan. Thousands of Powloon workers in the regional city of Toba Teksing in Punjab province took to the streets in a recent show of anger against unpaid wages. As in many other countries, the sector is characterised by subcontracting arrangements, people rate work and precarious employment conditions. In addition, Pakistani workers also have to endure four stoppages due to the country's inadequate electricity supplies. Powerloom workers have a history of taking industrial action in a, uh, and in a separate dispute. 24 workers were recently sacked so that company, FKN Textile, could replace them with cheaper casualised workers. So not a wonderfully... Um, Good news story, but certainly better than um, the, than the one we thought we were going to end on. So, yes, the Pakistani workers are fighting, ta- trying to, well, taking industrial action, but also fighting for their democratic rights as well. That's right. All right, we'll go to a um, number, a couple of community announcements while we um, set up the interview, and we'll be back with the um, interview with Amanda regarding the refugee um, movement here in Australia. Hey, this is Nick from Pinyara. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you.
One less loved one at Christmas One less loved one on birthdays A year after the death in custody of 22-year-old Yamaji woman Jalika Du, following her arrest for non-payment of fines of around $1,000, deaths in custody continue. Rally with the Indigenous Social Justice Association of Melbourne to a demand an immediate end to the ongoing deaths in custody. Full implementations of Recommendations 87, 92, 102 and all the recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Justice for Ms Du and all who have died in custody. Implement measures to give the community control over the police. Build communities, not prisons. Join us on Saturday the 8th of August 2015 at 11am at the old GPO corner of Burke and Elizabeth Streets, Melbourne. For more information, call ISJA Melbourne on 93880062. Gonna rise up to break these chains and stop these killing games. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. It's just on 17 past 9 o'clock. You're listening to Asia Pacific Current here on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. I think we're having some trouble to get our interview online, Amanda, about the, the refugee um, movement and the uh, and the movement against deportations, but we are still trying. So we're just going to go to another community announcement. Hey, this is Nick from Pinyao. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It is 18 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Well, we weren't able to get Amanda, unfortunately, this morning, but we will try and speak with her in um, coming weeks. However, we did want to talk about the Australian government's um, abhorrent refugee policies on this week's show. And we had the good fortune of bumping into Comrade Aaron this morning, um, as many listeners at 3CR will know, and as many activists across the Melbourne Refugee um, activist scene will know Aaron is um, a Tamil refugee himself and also uh, an activist. So welcome to the program, Aaron. Uh, thank you for having me, uh, Giselle and Pierre. You're welcome. And, and, you know, it shows like, you know, if, if one, uh, one item falls through, we just get it from the back <laughs> pocket. We've got uh, another person. But Aaron, we, we um, in our news roundup, um, that we do on the show every week. We talked about the Australian government's implication in the white vans situation in Sri Lanka, basically the kidnapping and disappearances of countless 
um, Tamil activists uh, across Sri Lanka. I mean, what can you tell us about that? I mean, obviously, it doesn't come as a surprise to you and to other activists that have been raising this issue before. How, how has it gotten to the mainstream media now? Well, firstly, uh, this uh, report that you're talking about was uh, on uh, ABC last uh, Monday night. Uh, Dylan Welsh, uh, 7.30 re- uh, report uh, uh, journalist, he uh, has been investigating the Australian Federal Police's support to the Sri Lankan uh, CID uh, for the last four years, and he came up with some really uh, interesting uh, findings. Uh, the the Australian Federal Police have been uh, providing equipment uh, to the Sri Lankan CID. And those of you who don't know what CID is, it's the body that tortures Tamils uh, in Sri Lanka and uh, it's the body that uh, tortures Tamils on their uh, return to Sri Lanka, uh, they, they have a notorious place called uh, Fourth Floor in the in the capital uh, Sri Lanka, and it is well known for many many people getting tortured and killed. Uh, and uh, the Australian Federal Police has been providing uh, material aid and um, uh, intelligence uh, information as well uh, to aid the CID from carrying out their work. Um, uh, this has been going on uh, since 2009, uh, but from my experience within the Tamil community, Australian Federal Police has been supporting the Sri Lankan government with their genocidal agenda uh, for a long time, way before 2009. In 2006, uh, Australian Federal Police uh, door-knocked over 300 Tamil houses and uh, three Tamil men were arrested on suspicion of uh, uh, aiding uh, terrorism, which they were found not guilty uh, at the end, but they were found guilty of lesser charges. Um, uh, but what the Australian Federal Police managed to do in that uh, from 2006 to 2009 is silence the Tamils from speaking out against the, the atrocities that were taking place in Sri Lanka by the Mahinda Rajapaksha regime. Uh, and we all know what happened in 2009, you know, which resulted in the deaths of over uh, uh, 70,000 Tamils, according to the UN, according to the, the Tamil countings, over 146,000 uh, remain unaccounted for. Uh, but that wasn't enough. You know, for Australian Federal Police and for many others uh, in the West, the job needed to be uh, fully done, which is, you know, not just... Uh, wipe out the Tamil Tigers, but wipe out any potential Tamil resistance in the future. And for that, they needed to uh, support the the Sri Lankan intelligence with, uh, you know, torturing Tamils. And and so, you know, we found these, uh, Dylan Welsh managed to get all these documents uh, from Australian Federal Police confirming uh, that they did provide uh, uh, material support to the Sri Lankan uh, intelligence. The, um, I mean, the the question that I now want to ask is obviously um, these white vans, like you said. I mean, the the main fight was against the Tamils, but it, they were certainly used against any um, uh, pro- any protest or any dissent f- to to the government. Now, of course, the Rajapaksa government has now been uh, they lost their, their election. So the question is, in a lot of debates about the state and about repression, people talk about the deep state. So there is, you know, there is the government level, the politician that you can see, and then there's all the kinds of 
un, unseen levels of, of government. Would you say that in Sri Lanka, uh, organisations like the CID are part of the deep state now that, and so really that regardless of who's in government, these will continue? Well, you know, uh, with the, the genocidal agenda, we can always uh, say that uh, it was the, the Rajapaksha uh, regime uh, that was carrying out the, the, the genocide in 2009. But that, that wasn't the case, you know, from a Tamil's point of view, uh, the, the genocide has been going on under successive governments uh, for a long time. Uh, it's it doesn't matter who is in government. Uh, we have always uh, faced uh, killings uh, at the hands of uh, successive Sri Lankan governments. Uh, like you said, uh, it is much deeper than who is in government. Uh, but let's not forget that although Rajapaksha is gone, the people who are in government now have been involved in um, uh, in uh, you know uh, genocidal actions in the past or. You know, we're talking about the president, who is the key person in Sri Lanka's uh, politics. Uh, he was part of Rajapaksha's cabinet for ten years. He was the acting defense minister during the final days of the war. Uh, he oversaw the deaths of thousands of Tamils. Uh, the people, the key people behind the new uh, president, uh, Sarath Fonseca, who was in charge of the army uh, in Sri Lanka, um, Ranil Wickremesinghe, um, a pro Western guy who uh, is, uh, you know, probably uh, is, is one of the, the key reasons why Rajapaksha came into power, uh, key reasons uh, why uh, Tamils uh, were never able to uh, get a permanent uh, uh, political solution uh, during the, the peace talks time. Uh, Chandrika Kumarudanga, uh, who was... Um, uh, you know, uh, killing Tamils in thousands in the in the mid nineties, which I witnessed personally. My own school was bombed by Chandrika Kumarudanga Bandaranaika, and uh, these are the key people under the new regime. You know, so uh, you know, while it may be new regime, it's the old people uh, once again trying to destroy the the lives of Tamils. But I do want to pick on your point, uh, Pierre. Uh, it's not just the Tamils who are being targeted. Um, you know, any single. Uh, from the south who speak out against the Sri Lankan government in support of the Tamils do get targeted as well. Um, Under the Rajapaksha regime, 39 journalists were killed. Majority of them were single East journalists, not Tamil journalists. And uh, the reason why single East journalists were killed is to silence any single East journalist from speaking uh, the truth, what's happening in uh, in in the North and East. Hence, uh, keeping the, the single East community away from the the reality. <laughs> and this is the um, the country in which the Australian government is deporting um, Tamil refugees, and absolutely implicit in the continued torture um, and repression and genocide against the Tamil community. I also wanted to um, mention the refugee actions, uh, action collectives, activities that are coming up, and also particularly around um, the proposed deportation of Yeshiwerk Abra, who is an Ethiopian woman. She's a member and an active member of the t- uh, pro-democracy opposition group, Jimbot 7. Um, so she's being faced with deportation. There is an action um, next Saturday, the 15th of August at 12 o'clock at the State Library to actually fight against um, that deportation. She's had many 
people from the Christian community here in Melbourne speak out um, against that deportation and pledging to support um, and and resource her while she remains in Australia. So um, that ongoing fight against the Australian government's deportations of vulnerable um, activist refugees, political refugees here in Australia, back to environments where they will in fact be tortured and killed. uh, Miss Abra is actually facing the death penalty and others from um, that organisation have been deported to that. Um, We've got about a f- just a few seconds. <laughs> I just wanted to say, Aaron, thank you so, so much for joining us on the program today and sharing um, your knowledge and information about the situation in Sri, Sri Lanka, particularly um, the white vans in Australia's um, implicit support or explicit um, support and resourcing of that. Um, I did want to announce one more event. Um, I know Pierre is getting anxious here. Sorry, I just have to. Um, there is a speak out. There's an action in um, at the GPO today at 12 o'clock. Um, the commemoration of the one-year anniversary of the death of Jalika Jew, who is an Aboriginal woman who died in custody in Western Australia one year ago, obviously, for she was in prison for $1,000 of unpaid fines. She died that night, um, basically choked on her own vomit because she failed to get medical attention. So get along to that. Um, it's at uh, 12 o'clock today at the GPO. All right, fantastic. And Aaron, just one very quick question, mm. f- five-second answer. Are there still Tamils in the detention centre in, in danger of being deported here in Australia? Thousands of Tamils are uh, in uh, uh, in fear of uh, de- living in fear of getting deported back to Sri Lanka, and and it's genuine fear. All right. Well, thank you very much. We'll certainly um, do more work on this in, in future shows. Thank you very much again, Aaron. Thank you. All right, that's really the end of the program. We've got to go. Um, thanks for listening. Asia Pacific Islands brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. We'll be back next week. My name is Pierre. I'm Giselle, and stay tuned for Palestine Remembered, which is coming up next. You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.